Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right. All right. Let's, let's get going. Um, I just had someone ask for the very first time, like, what do you do with all the extra over of the body and blood of Christ? I'm like, usually kids come up and just, like, slam them. And so if you, it's true what they do. Um, uh, so if you, if you want more communion, you can come up. I prefer you wait until I'm done talking, but Carly, you can come up anytime you'd like if you really need some, all right? Um, we are continuing our series in uh, Romans, and um, if, if you're newer and you, haven't, you don't need to listen, I mean, you should, you're welcome, you should listen to all of them, um, but you don't need to listen to the ones to get caught up with what we're doing, um, but if you want to, uh, you can go, I, I have taken over, um, look at me slapping myself on the back, all right, I've taken over um, publishing the podcast, um, and I've had a lot of fun, because I get to write, like, join Pastor Chris as he talks about, it. I'm like, I'm talking about myself right now, so, um, um, if you want, you can go, all our messages of all time are on neighborhood.love. Um, and if you were listening, because this makes the cut, if you're listening, I don't know who I'm looking at. I'm talking to podcasters. Podcasters, if people are listening to podcasts, please, I'd love to have you email me and tell me uh, uh, where you're from. Because right? I run to people like, oh, I've been listening to your messages. I'm like, I have no idea in this magical universe of who's a part of our church, right? Because people who are... Uh, consuming our content are part of our community. So podcasters, please uh, email me, um, and then we can have a great conversation. So we're talking about hope. Hope is essential. Is, any, is there any other eternal optimists out there? Right? You just always, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm that guy. Like, uh, I had, um, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I had a pastor when I was growing up um, at Cloquet Gospel Tabernacle, right? Love that. Um, and his name, uh, I shouldn't say his name, but anyways, he pastored, for like two years, then he moved away. And out of the blue, he contacted me. He's like, uh, through our, our church um, phone number. And he's like, hey, Chris, I moved back into town. He lives on Chubb Lake, right? He's living large. And um, he's like, I'd love to get caught up. And um, I tell this to my partner, Nikki. And I'm like, I'm actually really looking forward to it, right? Because I'm an eternal optimist. I have hope. And she's like, he just probably wants to tell you that you're going to hell, and he wants to, like, shame you back into fundamentalism. I'm like, where did that come from, all right? I just, like, naturally, I'm making my, sound, my wife sound horrible. But I'm really great is the point of that I trust people because I, I, have, like, I have, like, hope in humanity, all right? And if he does go that direction, I have no problem in the middle of me saying, oh, I got the black lung, got to go, all right? So, um. But, but, but to, like, hope, I think, is essential. Like, I have hope that um, Nikki and I um, are going to have, like, a flourishing marriage, right? I have hope that our church is going to continue to find inspiration belonging for infinite amount of people. I have hope that I will be healthy in when I get older. So, like, my parents, I can travel and move around and continue to play golf, right? And, but, but hopes are different than dreams. We can, like, mix those sometimes because, like... Um, a dream is like, I dream, I wore this today because I knew I was talking about it, I dream that the Minnesota Golden Gophers will win a national uh, football championship. It's never going to happen. I am friends with reality, but I, I, have, I don't have hope. I have dreams that it will, right? When like the lottery gets to like a billion, 
right? I always buy a ticket because it is worth $2 to sit for a week and be like, I'm totally going to win, and I'm going to be able to buy this. I'm not giving that person money, but I'll give that person money just to make sure they know I didn't give them any money, right? I'm a very petty person, right? (laughs) I love that, right? But I don't have hope in winning the lottery. I have a dream because the difference is um, hope informs. Actually, hope demands. Hope forges us to how we show up presently. So if I have hope that I want to have a good, flourishing relationship with my wife, well, that's going to have to mean when I walk in and she goes, really? Socks on the table again? Are you 14? And I just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> right? It, it, it forms of how we're going to treat one another. If, we, if I have hope that we're going to have a healthy, robust, flourishing church, that informs of how I show up on a Tuesday, not just a Sunday. How I do my job, how I live my life, how I engage with the public. Right? The, the difference is dreams don't really require a lot. I don't have a lot of agency if the Gophers win a championship or not. I think I do. I think that me sitting in the same seat is going to magically help them, like, succeed. Turns out it doesn't, right? I I can't have anything over a a dream of winning the lottery, right? I I can't control a dream of me growing another five inches so I can dunk a basketball, right? But hope costs you something, right? Like, real hope. And we're, I would say, Christianity has branded itself too often as this, like, if you believe the right things, everything's going to be okay, right? You can have hope because if you just do all the right things, then you're going to have no pain. And that's not life, right? Real life with real hope means it informs when I suffer, when I experience loneliness, when I have, like, a really, like yesterday walking into a stranger's house to do pictures for um, Snowball. You know that's a thing now? Parents show up for pictures, I, I don't, I, my dad would roll, like, he would, he'd, he'd, he'd burn my house down. He said, Dad, come over for pictures for prom. He'd be like, <laughs> so, um, and I was really anxious, right? Hope, when I have hope, I can work through my anxiety because I, I can trust on the back end there might be something better. And this is what Paul's talking about in Romans 5. It's all about hope with some, like, weird stuff in between, um, uh, and he talks about our hope and what our hope is attached to and what our hope actually is. And it's, this is a banger of a message, all right? Just buckle up because I had so much fun doing this because it's like what I needed. The work I did this week, I'm like, oh, it's a good reminder that I actually have hope. And here's uh, what, how Paul starts in Romans 5. I think we have it up there too. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, just pause. Uh, in that part where it says we, uh, Paul uses word a lot in Romans. And we is not just like a select group of people. It's not just the beautiful people. It's just not the people who are like, you know, perfect teeth and good hair. We is like everybody. Like in chapter um, uh, 3 when he says, for we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That is all of humanity. It's all of creation. So the we really, really matters. So, all right, back at it. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love this verse, right? And it, it shapes how we're going to read the rest of, and we're not going to do any more reading, but it shapes the, for the rest of um, chapter 5. Because 
um, here, hope is uh, not just a good idea, right? It says, how do you have hope? Hey, let me encourage you. You're going to have hope because you're going to suffer. You're going to have pain. You're going to have isolation. You're going to be lonely at times. You're going to feel physical pain in your body, which I love because it's like Paul giving a cold, hard slap of reality, right? Because even like what I said earlier, like sometimes Christianity has branded itself as like running through a field with flowers and, and birds singing, we love you, Chris, right? And, and life is just not that. And then at times when we do suffer, we think, what did I do wrong, right? Uh, I'm having problems with my adult child. What did I do wrong? Uh, money is really tight. What did I do wrong? I feel a- anxious yesterday. What did I do wrong? And the truth is, you're just human, right? You might have done something wrong, <laughs> but you might not have. And it's not God upstairs saying, oh, I wish you would have tried harder. But, like, um, I just heard of a story of uh, someone, these pastors that I used to work for, um, told multiple people, I had no idea, told multiple people, you shouldn't marry that person. You shouldn't marry that person. Why? They're like, well, we think it's a bad fit. We don't think it's God's plan for your life. And it turns out, well, the reason they said you shouldn't go to that, marry that person is because that person didn't come back to those pastors asking for, like, opinions on everything. And so since they weren't hobnobbing with the pastors, the pastor said, well, that's bad, that's evil. You clearly want people that share my interpretation of the Bible, who look to me to be a leader, who come to me for all the decisions, right? Center their pleasure and their power, and then you can be included. And this is how Christianity has been for way too long. Like, listen to me, and then you'll be good, right? Worship like us, hold this truth, hold this theology, give this much money, and then you'll be good. And Paul, in another letter, says, hey, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you find yourself in. Paul's saying suffering is like happening because you're human. And we need to normalize pain, right? I, I sat um, with uh, our friends um, Boyd and Margot. Boyd has recently passed. And this was right after we um, got kicked out of the denomination that we were as a church like a month later, and I'm in Bayfield, and I'm supposed to be doing this wedding, and Nikki and I um, took it pretty hard, and uh, we didn't know if we were going to have a job. We didn't know if our church would still be. It was, it was just, it was really, really messy, and we saw Boyd and Margo, and it was surprising because we didn't know that they were friends with the couple, and we sat down uh, over a bottle of wine in about two hours, and we just cried, and we processed, and we shared, and we vented, and we swore, and we did all the things, right? And they were so kind, and they are like looking at us, and um, uh, and they're uh, much older than us. If Margo's listening, she's going to love that I mentioned that. She is way older than us. So, um, and we get done, and we know what, like, normal people would do. Be like, I'm so sorry. That sounds really hard, right? Instead, they looked at us and said, um, I'm sorry, but this won't come even close to the pain you're going to experience down the road. As you get older, there's going to be way more pain. And I looked at them, and I'm like, a, this is weird, right? But B, it was so honest. It was so refreshing. Because they validated our pain, they listened to us, and they, um, Boyd, at the time, um, had cancer, terminal cancer. He outlived his prognosis by years, right? And was still able to travel to Italy and do all these things. So as we're sitting there like, we might lose our job, they're thinking, my husband could die at any moment, Right? And th- so they're extending kindness by saying, like, Paul, there's going to be suffering. Because when you suffer, right, and you're awake to it, it builds perseverance. It builds grit, 
right? And then it builds character. And what is character? Character, the running line is like character is who you are when no one's looking, right? Which just means that you have evolved. You have scars to prove that you have survived. You have the receipts that you can do hard things. And when you get through it on the other end and you're okay, that's your character. And that is the hope that Paul is talking about, that you can do hard things. You don't have to be uh, avoiding pain. You can be awake to it, and you can still be alive. You can still flourish, which sets up the second half of uh, chapter 5. Paul uses this idea of hope, and then he begins to define what that hope is tied to and exactly what that hope is, and he introduces two characters. Well, reintroduces two characters, and it's like 1v1. It is Adam, and it is Jesus, and he compares the two. He says, both of these men um, made one decision, and that one decision impacted all of creation, and he starts with Adam, and he says, Adam had a transgression against God, which means God gave, uh, an, in the story in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, God says, hey, Adam, big fan of you, happened to make you. Uh, you can go anywhere you want, eat whatever you want, just not this fruit. And Adam says, watch out, right? Like, hold my beer. And Adam eats the apple, all right? And, uh, um, and through that, Paul says, sin entered the world. And not just sin, but death entered the world. Pain, suffering, sin, evil, death. And that becomes the king over humanity. And then he says, and what Jesus did, right, also impacted him. We'll get that on the front end, but we need to just pause. Because um, this idea that Paul's talking about, um, we have formed and we've called it original sin. And it is by far the most toxic, violent, theological um, stance um, in all time, I believe, in all humanity. And because what, what Paul is um, talking about is that since Adam and Eve uh, ate that fruit, sin entered the world, and now it is passed on to humans in all creation for all time. It's called the fall of humanity or the fall of man. And the reason this is uh, bad is because this. If you really believe that you're a depraved human being, that uh, when you are born, when when my kids were conceived, at the moment of conception, at the deepest part of the egg and the sperm, you're welcome for saying sperm in church, right? At the, at the moment that those concepted, at the core of it is sin. It's not just a spiritual idea. It's tied to our genetics. It's tied to our genes, our DNA, our body. That when, you, you, when I held my baby for the first, I love this joke, right? Um, and I held my baby the first time, right, just, just born, right? And, like, look at the baby and say, look at this sinner, right? Oh, you little sinner, right? Like, that sinner right here. He's a beautiful sinner, right? Um, and I imagine my kids, like, I, I don't know how to talk, but, like, I'm just existing, right? I didn't have a bad thought. I didn't, like, you know, flick off my parents. I didn't do anything, right? But they would say, you're born a sinner. And the reason this is dangerous, because if you believe that humanity is depraved, and you need to say a magical prayer, and if you say the right prayer, then you're a regenerator. You made a new creation, and the old self is now dead, and the new person is here, right? Now you're good. Now you're worthy. But if you don't do that, and you're just a sinner and you're depraved, that justifies Christians to do horrible things to entire demographics of people. Because we say, well, they're living in sin. They're choosing the sin. So we will do, we'll exclude them. We'll mock them. We'll legislate against them, Right? Like with access to health care for trans kids and students, right? Well, we can just say, like, 
No, they don't need it. Why? Because they're sinners. And if maybe they are convinced that they really are sinful, maybe they'll come over and get saved and be regenerated, right? It, it, is, it is the most toxic thing. And it didn't really happen until like third or fourth century where um, uh, Augustine put into words of using this words of Paul. Now, how can we read the Bible <laughs> where Paul's talking about sin entered through one person and not hold that value as a church or me as a pastor? I can tell you why. This is, I love this, right? Um, Paul is like a Jewish influencer of his time, right? He's brilliant, he's hip with it and wow, and he knows the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament, in and out. You know how many times the idea of original sin comes in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible? Zero. Not once is it mentioned. In fact, the only way you can go, if, if, if you're a Bible nerd, go back and read uh, Genesis 3, right? And read it again. Because in order to have an interpretation that God is um, punishing them and punishing me from something that Adam did, whatever, you know, centuries or eons ago, um, you have to take the, I, the concept of original sin and put it into it. If you just read it again, yeah, it talks about that there's going to be pain in childbirth, that we're going to have to toil on the ground, right, and that there's going to be death. But nowhere before it does it say that if they didn't do this, that they would live forever. Nowhere before does it imply that there wasn't going to be pain. Nowhere does it imply that they weren't going to have to work on the earth. We make that up, right? We treat this saying, oh, it's perfect. Perfect is not avoiding pain. Perfect does not mean you don't, like, have to work for stuff, right? Uh, and I got this from a rabbi who, uh, uh, who said what his version of what's happening, his interpretation of what's happening in the Eden Garden of Eden. Yes, okay, I was thinking, is that Eve? Garden of Eve? No, got it, Eden. I'm a professional, I promise. So, um, uh, it's similar between God and humans in the same way it happens with uh, me and my 18-year-old, right? Uh, there's a time where my son Cole, I think about him leaving and going to college, uh, and I cry, and I'm sad. And then I think about, what if he just decides to live with me? And I cry, and I'm sad, Right? <laughs> As, that is a natural tension you feel as your kids become adults, right? That you want them to move on, but you also want to, like, hold on to, like, my little, oh, I don't want to cry, little baby Cole who wanted to play, moving on, right? So uh, that tension is good because it helps you prepare to move forward and prepare that kid to move on. And this rabbi says, God's doing the same thing. It's not a curse for them to leave the, the Garden of Eden. He believes that they were always going to leave and go create their own gardens of Edens all throughout, uh, all around the world. That they were going to be like God, go and create and collaborate and build new things. And sometimes you need a little nudge to get them out of the nest, right? And so that's why I don't hold the idea of original sin. So why is Paul then using this story? Because throughout the book of Romans, this is what Paul does. He takes a story that they would understand. They knew, oh, I know the story of Adam Eve, talking snake, ate some fruit, right? Big fan. Um, and he tells that story to, re to tell a much wider, more beautiful story. And he uses the idea of Adam and having, like, he made one thing that impacted everything to tell a better story of Jesus. And what Jesus did, what the Christ did, is Christ made a decision, willingly, self-sacrificial love, going to the cross to die. And because Christ did that, it had a much bigger impact. Actually, like, took over anything that Adam might have done Jesus, like, overreached it and said, all now is connected. Everything belongs. And that is a much more beautiful story 
than the story of what Adam did. And that's the whole reason that Paul even brings it up. He, like he's, he's playing fast and loose with these, with these ancient stories to tell people about new stories that are much better, better stories. So then, what is the whole purpose of this, right? It's all about hope. And the commentator that I'm using, and I don't recall their name, um, I never thought about this before. He's saying, by telling th- this story, he's not saying that like, there's a new way of being human, and it's true, right? But it doesn't mean that we throw away the old humanity. It doesn't mean like we have to just like, like eradicate our humanness and just be like separate our body to our spirit and just focus on the spirit and deny our body. He's like, not at all. Paul is pointing back to Genesis 1 and 2. And again, I believe it is a story. But he's saying if, if Adam's sin brought death and destruction and that was the king, what was the king before that? What was the way of being human before that in Genesis 1 and 2? This, but this is so good, right? Um, what he's retelling is the story of creation. And God says, or um, in the Genesis 1, it says, let us make um, them, let us make creation in our image, right? That we are image bearers of God. And being an image bearer of God doesn't mean that God looks like me. You know, she probably would want to, right? Because I'm amazing, right? But uh, it, being an image bearer of God means that we move and behave and we reflect the very nature of God. And the idea of let us is this where we get the idea of the Trinity. And another rabbi, um, he talked about his version of the Trinity. Um, no, it, it was not a rabbi. It was a, um, I don't remember. But um, I was just about to say, anyways, moving on. So uh, the idea of the Trinity is that God empties of itself all its love, beauty, imagination, nuance, uh, all of itself empties it completely into the Christ. And the Christ embodies it, revels in it, enjoys it, experiences it, and equally empties of itself into the Spirit, all of its love, beauty, everything. And the Spirit embodies it, relishes in it, experiences it, and equally empties itself back into God. And it is this circle, this beautiful flow of emptying self-sacrificial love into the other and also receiving it. It's collaboration. It is teamwork. And it's in that flow that we are made in the image of God. That way, that in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, the way God created things, right? And I, I, I believe that it's just a story. But the purpose of the story is to show what it means to be human. And the way creation is, if we're all image bearers of God, God created this world to empty itself into one another. That we need the bees to pollinate the flowers, right? We need things to um, grow. We need water to do it. We need healthy soil. We need, uh, like, all of creation is, like, reinventing itself, depending. It's emptying of itself so it can die so that new life can be born. And we are the same way. That we are connected to one another. We are dependent on one another. And in Genesis um, uh, 2, it says, God told told Adam and Eve they have dominion, over the earth. And that word matters, right? Because when you think about dominion, uh, the way it was taught to me is that we have power over the earth, right? And the way you think about God is going to shape how you think about the word dominion. Because when God says to have dominion, we think about like tyranny. We think about I have power, and power then is like aggressive. Power is self-serving. And man, Christians have been doing, people, humanity has been doing this forever, of saying, um, hey, this land is great, um, and we believe God told us to take this land. So funny, this, now, this land now belongs to us. Sorry, indigenous people, 
we're going to murder you, and we're going to take it and call it ours. But we're going to say it's in the name of God because we have dominion over the land. And if you believe that you have power over something, you can justify doing toxic, violent things, right? And that believes, you believe there's a God who's upstairs, a God who says, don't make me come down there, right? A God that has dominion over us, a God that has power over us. The problem is we don't see that in the person of Jesus. And we have a Jesus-looking God. We don't see that in the story of creation because this God gives of itself, gives its agency, its power, its leadership, and shares it with all creation, right? There's a God that says, let's do this together. They're collaborating with one another. So dominion isn't power over something. It's power with something. It's power in something. And that completely changes the narrative, and this is exactly what Paul's talking about. This is the hope that we have, that we can collaborate with God, we can collaborate with one another, and we can build beautiful things if we're willing to love, if we're willing to give love, if we like the Trinity and creation, uh, embody and experience beautiful things and willingly, self-sacrificially giving to other people. Because here's the thing, love always wins. My hope of having a great marriage is I'm going to trust there's a God that good and that love always wins. Why? Because Jesus demonstrated it. Jesus didn't talk about it. Jesus lived it. And if I live in the way of Christ, I'm choosing to love even when my socks are really on the table and I can't blame my kid anymore and I have to own it, right? I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose love even when it costs me. I'm going to choose love even when it hurts me. Why? Because I believe that though I suffer, I'll have grit and I'll have character and my hope is tied, love always wins. So my message to you is choose love. Like, it's the most, like, simple thing, right? We should just get tattoos and it says, like, love always wins. They're like, oh, no, thanks, solder, right? But it's also the most costly thing because to truly love, to give love, means it's going to cost you a lot. And we want to avoid that pain. But we can have hope that in that loss, love always wins. So let's pray. So God, we love you. And I thank you that you're not a God that has power over something. But you're a God who gives over and over and over. And I thank you for the, the story and the life and death and resurrection of Christ that can inform us of what hope can do and what hope is. That we can choose love. And even when it feels like we might lose, even when we feel like other people might say, why would you do that? We choose to give love because it brings new life. So I pray for my friends who are suffering, who are in pain, who are lonely, who are anxious, And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring new life and inspire them to keep moving. <laughs> In the same way Boyd and Margo told us, like, buckle up, there's more coming. Will you give us what we need to take another, another step, to make it another day, and to keep on loving? We can do hard things. I thank you for that, God. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for being in this space with me on this Sunday.
and it's Super Bowl. I, I, told, I just remember that right now. That would have been a helpful announcement. So uh, have a great Super Bowl Sunday. If you want to process, you want to um, pray, or you want to talk more Bible theology stuff, I love that. So um, enjoy the rest of your weekend.